You ready, brother? Yes, sir. All right. In all of time, in all of history, man has never created one single living cell. Yet your body does that millions to billions of times a day. That's where I put my face. So I try to encourage people. I want them to know that, listen, that there's a doctor 24 seven on the clock, making chemicals, making hormones, detoxing you. So yeah, compared to the smartest person you know, or the greatest doctor you think, I'm just saying that level of intelligence is laughable compared to the wisdom that is in you right now, animating you so you can even hear me say this. If I can help you understand the magnificence of the body that God gave you, your fear of disease drops significantly. Your fear of a fever drops significantly because you realize that you're designed to heal. So I'm Dr. Ben Rall. Welcome to Design to Heal. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of Design to Heal. Special for a lot of reasons. Special because of our guest today. Uh, special because of what we're going to talk about. And then special because it's our, th- our 300th episode. And uh, I didn't know this, and, and you might know this, uh, Pastor, but I guess a lot of podcasts don't ever make it past like 10 episodes. So I guess that's good. I don't know. We made it a little bit. But um, the, our guest today is Pastor Evangelist, President, CEO, uh, Daniel Kalenda. And I've gotten to know Daniel over the last couple of years. And of course, I've known of you through the work. We live in Orlando. Uh, the ministry that you're the CEO and president of, of Christ for All Nations, CFAN, and then also pastor at Nations Church or lead pastor. I don't know your exact title over there. But then also an evangelist. I mean, I, guess, I don't know if that's maybe the heart of it all, but I mean, you've traveled the globe, however, many countless of times and seen things that many people haven't seen. Um, just, and, and there's, there's a lot that I want to talk about with that for our listeners today. All right. We talk about, you know, healing and we talk about health, but we come at it from a faith-based perspective. And so, um, we're just honored to have you. Welcome to the show, pastor. Thank you. And congratulations on 300 episodes. <laughs> I, it took me, I, I did a, a podcast for several years and for a while it was like every year uh, in January, I'd release another episode. So it's like my <laughs> annual podcast. You need to so live as long as Noah to get yeah. there. I would, I, and then I don't know if you were like this. I also wanted to quit quite a bit. Yeah. I'm always like, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And then something happens and you got you to start talking yeah. to people. You got you, you to be able to talk to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody <laughs> listens. But will you, will you, a lot of people will know you, Pastor, but you know, in, 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 a, in a strange way, you spend a lot of time overseas. I mean, a lot of the ministry... Uh, I think I was looking, is it, have you guys broke 90 million yet? No, we're 89. 89 million documented decisions for Christ that have happened through Christ for All Nations and, and your work and Reinhardt before you. Um, so and it's funny, you know, because you don't see that on the American soil that much, right? So you're over across the seas all the time. Can you just tell people a little bit about Christ for All Nations, your background, your history? Yeah. Um, so listeners kind of know what's going on. Yeah. So the ministry of Christ for All Nations was founded in 1974 by a German evangelist by the name of Reinhard Bonnke. And um, maybe many of your listeners will recognize that name. Certainly, if there's anyone from Africa, they'll recognize the name. Reinhard Bonnke is kind of like the Billy Graham Mm. of Africa, maybe even more ubiquitous on the African continent than Billy Graham would be here. And um, his ministry started out very simply in the southern African nation of Lesotho, which is a small landlocked nation in southern Africa. And he was a missionary at that time, very, very ineffective, very ordinary. Mm-hmm. He said sometimes he'd travel a whole day to reach a village. And when he got there, only five people showed up and nobody got saved. 
and he was very. And that's frustrated. not an exaggeration. I mean, literally, no. that was the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, as, as simple as you can be, you can see pictures of him, you know, standing on a street corner with a with a piano accordion. We'd play, and a few people would gather around. Then he preached to them. Mm-hmm. So very humble beginnings, and um, and then he said that he he found himself becoming increasingly frustrated. So he he cried out to the Lord. He said, "This cannot be all there is to the glorious gospel," and he said. In the night, he had a dream, and he saw a map of the continent of Africa, and he saw it being washed in the blood of Jesus from south to north, from west to east, and then he heard a voice, he said, was like a thunder, and it said, from Cape Town to Cairo, Africa shall be saved. He woke up from that dream. He said he could feel the presence of the Lord in the room. He was overwhelmed by it, and then he said, my German brain began to tick again. You know, German's famous for their analytical nature kind of skeptical. Great for building cars. Yeah, yeah, very good for (laughs) for engineering. And he said, I I thought to myself, my ministry has no impact in this tiny little nation of Lesotho. Now I hear all Africa shall be saved. Something is wrong. I can still hear him saying in that funny German accent, I must have eaten bad bananas last night. (laughs) But he had the same dream the next night and the following night. And four nights in a row, after the fourth night, he said to his wife, I think God is trying to tell me something. And it was in response to that dream that he launched the Ministry of Christ for All Nations 50 years ago next year and um, began doing these gospel crusades around the continent. And they they grew from stadiums to eventually they built the world's largest mobile structure at the time, which was a tent capable of seating over 30,000 people. Then they outgrew that and ended up being just these super massive gatherings of people out outdoors under the open air sometimes up to 1.6 million people on one field at one time, the largest crowds of human beings that you've ever seen in the history of, of, of humankind. And, you know, we talked about 89 million documented decisions, just to clarify, because yeah. that, that's a pretty, it's a pretty big number. And I think people rightfully kind of, you know, they tur- mm. cock their head to one side like a dog, something <laughs> that sounds kind of fantastic. <laughs> a lot, yeah. It's a big number. It's a lot of people. But you have to realize that those numbers, the only people we count are the ones that have, heard the gospel face-to-face in one of the crusades. They have responded to the altar call saying, I want to receive Christ for the first time. A counselor has gone to them and prayed with them, collected their name and address and phone number and any other contact information they have. And then they have then entered into the follow-up system where they can be uh, assimilated into the local churches. We don't see our job as evangelists as completed until that handoff has been made to the local church. Jesus didn't say, go make converts. He said, go make disciples. So that's what we're talking about. 89 million plus, almost 90 million documented decisions for Christ, people being ushered into the follow-up system and making their way into the local church. So it's, it's changed the face of Christianity on the continent. And that work is not only ongoing, but it's increasing. So I think even, even as you're listening to this, you, you may be, and we're kind of taping this at the end of the year, and we're actually in at the headquarters at Christ for All Nations. I see some of those pictures of some of those events, right? I mean, until you maybe see the picture. And, and really, for some people that are listening, you know, we go to the Na- we go to Nations Church, and so just some people, they don't really know, like, an evangelism-based church, right? I mean, you might have outreach, you have mission groups, you have mission trips, but there's something. I mean, every week, literally, you know, you come up and it's 15, 18, 20, I think, what, 21 nations the other day, right, yeah. of people that got saved through Christ for all nations ministry and nations church and just that whole situation. Um, so if it might, this might be like shocking to some people to hear, yeah, right. Yeah. Until you maybe have experienced it like that. How did you then pastor 
get in, in, involved, right? I mean, you have somebody like Reinhardt, right? Who's has this anointing, has this experience, has this happen. Um, a lot of times ministries like this don't survive, right? Mm-hmm. Past the lifetime of, of the founder or the person that really got touched like that. Uh, you said going into 50 years, and I want to talk about a little bit about next year and what that means for Christ for All Nations. But for you, how did you, or how are you now kind of the, the, the head of that? I don't even know the right way to say it, but leading that, that into the next phase. Yeah. I mean, I'm the successor. That's my technical, you know, role. I, I'm the successor of Reinhard Bonnke. So I lead the ministry of Christ for All Nations. Um, the story of how that all happened is a, is a long one. Um, the, the short version is I started back in 2004 working in the warehouse. So it wasn't in this building. It was in a different one very close by here. And, I mean, if you could have looked at an organogram of the ministry, I would have been the last name all the way down somewhere at the bottom. Probably I wouldn't have even been on that chart because it wasn't, you know. <laughs> it wasn't a name enough. even. It wasn't role, like <laughs> yeah. warehouse guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was even on there. So that's where I started, and then um, through a very strange series of events that, you know, probably don't have time to get into, I ended up becoming the assistant to Reinhard Bonnke. So I would travel with him around the world, and I was really just there to serve him, you know, carrying his bags, helping to make, you know, arrangements for him. And then um, after doing that for a couple of years, he told me that the Lord had spoken to him and said the anointed must be appointed. And so he really believed that the Lord showed him I was the one to take on the ministry after his, uh, after his time. And so that was unusual because I'm not related to Ryan Harbonke. We have no, like, family connection yeah. whatsoever. And usually ministries are kind of family mm. affairs. You know, the a father passes it to his son kind of like a yeah. dynasty and a kingdom or something. Yeah, yeah. But this was really, he felt like the Lord showed him how this was to go to the next generation. And I was the one that the Lord highlighted. But then he said... Uh, you know, he was very practical, like we talked about. So his, his, his the way he wanted to handle it is he said, let's test this. Huh. And he said, we'll test it one step at a time. So in the beginning, you know, I would just travel around with him, and I would preach like 10 minutes before he would get up to preach. Huh. I wouldn't give altar calls. I wouldn't just, just kind of almost like introducing him. Huh. And then, you know, we did that for a while. Then I would preach one service, and he would preach the rest. Then I'd preach a couple services, and he'd preach the rest. And soon I was preaching most of the services, and... And then there was the day where he, he said, you know, it's clear that, that the Lord has called you to this. And, and they, that was in 2008 that I became the president mm. of the ministry. So, and then you got to realize that we ran together another decade after that because he only passed away in 2019. So we worked together side by side, which was really, you know, from the Lord because mm. it's difficult sometimes, I think, in succession situations when somebody's on their deathbed and they hand the reins of the ministry to someone who right. doesn't know what they're doing. And then the the founder is gone. The next generation just has to pick up the pieces and figure it out. Mm. Well, Reinhard walked with me for a decade, mm. you know, and he was like a like a father to me. He was a mentor to me. Um, I could I could ask him questions. I could talk to him about the challenges, and and it was really one of the most seamless transitions of a ministry that I that I know of to this day. So it was very wise the way he handled it. One, it, it, it not that it's I don't want to quite transition, but I want to think I want people to think about this. Because one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today is because what you, so when you, what you, when you walk side by side with, with a guy like Reinhardt for, you know, 10 plus years and the years before that, like you're going to, you're going to the wealth of knowledge that you're going to see and experience and, and soak in and understand and undeniable things that you're going to see and when it's going to change who you are. But so many times in, in, especially in, in, in church and especially in more of a charismatic church or churches where healings happen or where evangelism happens, it's almost like it's 
somebody else's job. It can be, right? Like there's this person, there's, there's Daniel, there's Pat, there's Reinhardt, something like this, right? And it's almost like um, they're expected to, to do the healing or they're expected to do the work. And you being, because this wasn't like you started in ministry, you know, in the warehouse. You've had, your background is interesting that I would want people to know just your personal faith journey, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't, it wasn't like you got saved in the warehouse here, yeah. right? Because I think it is important for people to understand that, but you are doing, in my opinion, a really important job of, you don't put this positional like, hey, I've got it all figured out and everybody follow, follow Daniel and, and right, and it's all going to be okay. You really empower people, empower the church, empower those, right? Like, hey, this isn't just for me to do. And I think people listening to this, when it comes to health, when it comes to healing, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to leading people to Christ, yeah. right? It isn't just like, hey, you should talk to Daniel, you know? Yeah. So will you share a little bit of your personal background, you know, before that? And I think that's fascinating as well, yeah. just your history. Well, I'm a, I'm a fifth generation preacher's kid on my father's side. Um, and, you know, goes all the way back for those that are maybe Pentecostal or charismatic uh, listeners. It, my family goes back to the Azusa Street generation. Mm-hmm. So it's like the first generation of Pentecostals, really. And so I, I grew up in, in the Assemblies of God in a family that was very much a part of um, of that movement and helped to start, like, for example, my great-great-uncle helped to start the Assemblies of God in Brazil and helped to build the, the, the Assemblies of God Bible School in Germany, where even, you know, people, members of Reinhardt's family mm. went to. So, you know, they've been around for a while. But, you know, the thing is, God has no grandchildren, only children. So no matter how rich your heritage is, you have to meet the Lord for yourself. Mm. And that there's no exceptions to that. And, and I, I met the Lord at a very early age um, in, in terms of just, you know, accepting him and surrendering my life to him. I was, I was only, you know, seven or eight years old at that time. And, and so really I can't remember a time in my life that I didn't love the Lord, mm. which may sound silly. Um, you know, somebody told me if you can't remember the day and the hour that you got saved, then you're not really saved. And guess what? I can't remember either of those. You know, it's not like, I, like I wrote it in the back of a Gideon Bible or something. And I said, well, I disagree with that. I, I can't tell you the day or the hour that I was potty trained either. Mm. But I know that I was because I got still the am. You got the evidence. I still am, you see. The fruit that's of that. The, that's the key. Some people think, you know, because they, because they did have that thing that they wrote in the back of their yeah. Bible, that's, that means they're saved. No, the, the evidence of salvation is the ongoing fruit Mm-mm-mm. of the Spirit in the life of a believer. That's, that's what it ought to be like, you know. So um, I I'm really got touched by the Lord radically when I was a teenager. There was a revival movement that was going on in the 90s that, that um, I, I was— incidentally became a part of, and that's actually how I ended up meeting Reinhardt for the first mm, time. That's mm, part mm. of the story that we probably don't have time to get into. But um, anyway, that was the background, you know, the to experiencing the power of God and experiencing the presence of God, even from a very young age. So then when it was time to enter into these things, it, it very much was a, a very natural kind of transition from one to the other. So the, the, the last thing that I, I'm going to talk about from the ministry side, before we jump into just some of the health stuff and some of the things you've experienced, seen and experienced. There's a big thing happening for Christ for All Nations next year, right? It's 50th. And even to that, that uh, dream and vision that Reinhardt had of, you know, Cape Town to Cairo, because I know there'll be people that are listening that either know you or know the ministry. 
and they have a heart for evangelism. They have the heart for the lost. And will you tell us just a little bit about what that looks like the next year with the 50 yeah. <laughs> crusades and all that? Cause I don't know if, has anything like that ever been done literally in, in history? I, I don't, I've the, especially the way that it's being done. I don't think anyone's ever even tried this unless they were out of their minds. <laughs> <laughs> Still yet to be determined TB, yeah, TBD. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, tell us about it. Yeah. So again, next year is the 50th anniversary. I told you we started in 1974. So, we are closing in on 90 million. I think we'll be at 90 million documented decisions by the end of the year. Here's what I felt in my heart. You know, Reinhardt used to say to me, used to talk about the way that the Lord showed Joshua the borders mm. of Israel. I don't know if you ever heard me talk about this, mm. but, but the Lord gives in, in Joshua chapter one, he actually gives him the borders of what the, the promised land is supposed to be. What a lot of people don't realize is it contains parts of Egypt, I think even Saudi Arabia, mm. parts of Saudi Arabia are in that. I mean, it's a massive swath of, of territory that to this day, Israel has never fully possessed. So Reinhardt would say, what, what does that mean? Does it mean that God lied mm. to Israel? I mean, he promised them a lot that they never possessed. He said, no, what it means is that the promises of God are elastic. You can press into them. Mm. And the more faith, the more you're willing to trust God and press into the promises, the more you can possess. And I think a lot of people hmm. never do fully possess what God has for them and what hmm. God would give to them because they're not willing to trust the Lord. What I felt hmm. the Lord challenging us to do as a ministry was in this 50th year to press into something that, that would challenge even our ability to believe because, I mean, we've seen big things. But what's happening next year in the 50th year is that we're starting in Cape Town. Remember the, the dream? Right. From Cape Town to Cairo, Africa shall be saved. So we're starting in Cape Town, and we're going to begin working our way north through the continent, 50 crusades in 50 cities, starting in Cape Town, ending in Cairo at the end of the year. And we believe we will surpass in the 50th year the landmark number of 100 million documented decisions for Christ yeah. in Africa, not, not total, yeah. in Africa. That's crazy. And I believe that it will also become sort of the, the explosion that catalyzes a movement of evangelism. Because you've got to realize mm -hmm. we've trained up to this point over 2,000 evangelists Many of them are going to be a part of this campaign. And so when something like this happens, there's this old thing Reinhardt used to say to me all the time, whenever the tide rises, all the boats are lifted. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be one of those rising moments for yeah. many ministries and many of these evangelists that have been trained. And it's going to spin off into a, I believe, the greatest decade of evangelism that the world has ever seen. Yeah, and even with all of those, with those 50, there's multiples associated with that. I mean, it's like a total of like 250, am I, am I saying that right? Of actual Knights of Crusades, yeah. right? Because each one of those is a multiple. Right, so every crusade lasts five nights, so it's 250. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And I was thinking the same thing, even as I've been hearing about it. Like, I just feel like something, like it's going to, when other people are bold and courageous, courageous other people say, I I want in, or I want, or wow, let's do that here, or another nation, or and just spawning out across the globe of, yeah. of just revival for people, which is going to be amazing to see. I mean, people watch it, but then something happens. It's contagious, right? Like yeah. it's a, in, in all of the best ways, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, you know, it's an old kind of trope that um, when you have these barriers, like, you know, running the mile in a certain mm, yeah, number of for, minutes, yeah, right. it is, and nobody can do it, and then somebody breaks that barrier, and suddenly... It's like common. Everybody can do yeah, it. Yeah, high school kids run four miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. And right. it, it just shows you that a lot of these barriers are mental. Mm -hmm. 
and and when someone has the courage to like what I was describing press into it and and take something that's never been taken before it it opens up sort of a window for the entire mm. body of Christ. Yeah. That's what I think this is going to happen. So, you, And then for those of you that heard that about the boot camp, I just want people to know this because I just know I've been around pastor enough and, and, and been taught by him. You say, what's the boot camp thing? Like there's an, it's an actual thing. Like, you have a school, you have a boot camp. We, I met a lot of them. I know a lot of the boot campers. Um, and if so, if that like touched your heart hearing that mm-hmm. they can, you know, they could they can find all your stuff, but there's yeah. probably another class coming up. Are you guys going to do another one next year? Yeah, we're, do, we're doing one in a few weeks. Okay. So, I mean, people come to Orlando. It's awesome. <laughs> a whole bunch of people come hang out here for a few months and yeah. it's amazing. So if, if you heard that and you said, what's that? I want to understand that. I want to be part of that. You know, if the Lord's touching you on that, uh, we'll, we'll give maybe some info at the end. Yeah. So can we move into maybe something that is confusing for a lot of even believers? You know, it's part of why I started this podcast. I mean, I work in healthcare, yes, and I'm a holistic doctor, and, and I understand healing. I believe, in, I believe in that. But then, man, when you start talking about healing in the church, Pastor, it gets, it gets contentious quickly, right? Matter of fact, you just had a podcast series that you've done that's gotten a lot of attention, yeah. got a little viral, or whatever the word is, this cessationist con, you know, confer, conference that happened, and a lot of names involved in that. But um, I've, I've listened to you teach enough on healing. I've seen enough of it at the church, at the revivals, my own experience just being saved since I was 13 and being a doctor that believes in healing. Um, will you give us your, you know, your take, your perspective on healing um, from, a, from, from the Lord and how we should understand that as, as believers? Um, frankly, as non-believers, I don't think, yeah. you know, healing happens to non-believers too, right? Yeah. Um, but I just think there's so much confusion. So some churches just don't touch it, right? It's too complicated. I don't want to talk about it. Just we, we, leave, that, we leave that over here. And then there's maybe other churches, and maybe this is part of the conversation, other churches, and that's all. It's like, right, if, you know, come here and you're going to get healed. And, and then it just gets weird mm-hmm. fast. Um, and then prosperity gospel gets thrown in there real quick and people, then they just totally discount it. Right. And now you're SSH, you know, so can you cut through some of that noise? Um, I know you've had to answer these questions a million times, right. Um, but help us understand this, help us under, help us think clearly about healing from the, from the Lord's perspective. So I think the first way to kind of cut through it is to say, that if you are an atheist, if you're an unbeliever, if you don't believe that any supernatural stuff is real, then you, you, you have no obligation to accept this either. Yeah. You're kind of excused from it by the fact that you have discounted all the possibilities. So I'm really talking to those that consider themselves to be believers and specifically Christians who accept the Bible as true and as literally true, not, not people that just yeah. have taken it as, as some abstract allegory and they, they like the principles, but they don't really think that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't really think that the miracles in the New Testament are real. For the ones that do accept that, it is completely irrational for you to reject the possibility that God might heal today. Now, most people, even staunch cessationists, as you mentioned, by the way, a cessationist is somebody that believes that certain supernatural gifts of the Spirit were only intended for the apostolic age, the mm-hmm. time of the apostles. Even if you are one of those people, most cessationists believe that God heals. The question is not, can God heal or does God heal? They'll accept that he does from time to time as a sovereign act of his will. Mm-hmm. What, they, what they don't accept is the idea that God gives people, human beings, the power to administer healing to others supernaturally. This like is where it gets of healing. Yeah, this is where it gets right. 
right. squirrely quickly for people. Right? Yeah, so I think there's two main issues. The main, the two main issues are number one: Does God give people gifts of healings today, or was that something that was only for the New Testament? And number two, maybe even more importantly, is it God's will to heal? Mm, yeah. Now that first question, that's one that would take a long time to yep. unpack. And you've talked about it. So there's actually yeah. podcasts that they can go listen to of you unpacking that one. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think it's even more helpful to look at the second question yeah. first because if we accept that it's God's will to heal, then it's like the first domino. Everything else becomes very clear very quickly. So is it God's will to heal or not? And and there's really only three possible answers. Yes, no, or maybe. <laughs> right. You should be a politician. So, <laughs> right. So where I would stand is I believe, yes, it is God's will to heal. I believe that because I don't, I don't see in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, any, any excuse for thinking that it's God's will that some people languish in sickness. Now, there are some people, they say, well, you know, we're not, we can't be sure that it's God's will to heal because God might be trying to use sickness to teach someone mm-hmm. a lesson. Now, I have no question that God can use sickness in a person's life to, to develop their character and to teach them all kinds of things. I've had sickness in my life and the life of loved ones that God has used in positive ways. God will use anything in our lives to bring about his good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. But the question is, is God strategically, intentionally, mm. proactively inflicting sickness upon people to teach them lessons? I say no. And if somebody says, well, I, I think that you're wrong about that, well, I would say to that person, in order to be consistent, they should not go to the doctor. Because what if it's God's will to teach them a lesson through that sickness? They shouldn't go to the chiropractor. Yeah, you're right. Don't want to thwart, thwart his plans. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. In, fact, in fact, I'll take it a step further. They shouldn't be taking any kind of medicine. They shouldn't sure, be taking yeah. any kind of painkillers. Because if God wants them sick, or if, if it's even possible that God wants them sick to teach them a lesson, yeah. then they ought to embrace that sickness wholeheartedly. Now, as I'm saying this as ridiculous as it sounds yeah. on purpose to make the point yeah. that nobody really believes this. Yeah. Even if theologically you might say, well, God, we, we believe that God is, might be putting sickness on people to teach them a lesson. Nobody in their heart of hearts really believes that a good father inflicts sickness on their ch- children in order to teach them a lesson. Imagine that you went to the hospital and there was some child dying in, 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 the, in the bed and the father was standing there and you put your, shoulder, your arm around his shoulder and you said, I'm so sorry your child is, is suffering. Mm-hmm. And he turns to you and says, hey, I'm actually the one making them yeah. sick. Yeah, trying to prove to a point. Yeah. Would you say, now that's a good father. Yeah. That's the kind of father I want there to be like. Go. Or would you report them to the police <laughs> and get them locked up? Yeah. Jesus said, this is not mysterious. Sometimes we think God is this strange creature mm. that we have no ability to relate to. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your mm. children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to the ones that ask? In other words, this is not so difficult to figure out. You are a father. You have children. How do you feel about your children? Guess what? God feels the same way about you. And in fact, even as, even as much as you try to love your child, you're still evil and imperfect mm. compared to the way that God sees his children. So I cannot accept the worldview that says that God is actually putting sickness upon his children to teach them lessons, and that because of that, we cannot pray in faith and in belief that God is going to heal them. So I take the totally opposite stand, uh, stance. When Jesus says, teaches us to pray, he, te- he tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what that tells me, think about, think about the incredible truth in that statement. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the will of God, the, the way that we know what God's will is, is that we look to the pattern of things in heaven. 
Heaven, Mm -hmm. the kingdom where God rules without any kind of contradiction, is a place where his will is being enacted perfectly. So let me ask the person listening, do you think that there are people with cancer in heaven? Do you think there are, are people with arthritis in heaven? Do you think there are people with Alzheimer's in heaven? We could go down the list. I don't think anyone believes that that's true. So that tells me these things must not be a part of God's will. So if I'm taught that, number one, the pattern of things in heaven is actually the place where we can tell what God's will is, number one. And number two, I am to pray that God's will will be done here in that same way that it's done there. Then it gives me every precedent and every biblical right to rebuke sickness and Mm. to rebuke disease and to expect it to go in Jesus' name, especially when Jesus told his disciples to go and to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out devils, and to, and, and, to, and to raise the dead. Freely you've received, freely give. So this is the gospel. This is the pattern that we've been given. And I see no reason to think that we shouldn't take it and go into all the world and preach it and heal the sick. And that, I mean, that prayer that you're talking about is the way Jesus himself told us to pray. Like, right? It's not yes. even an interpret. Well, hey, what about this, guys? This sounds good. This would be exciting. This might draw a crowd. This is how he told us to do this. Yes. And it's, which matters. So making some assumptions here, meaning after listening to that, right? And we don't have the people in front of us, so we're just talking through this, but making the the case for that, the argument of that, the logical progression of that. So it'd be here's what I would say. And this is, again, why I want you to be able to share this with people. So we hear this, and now I'm a, I'm a doctor, so I get to lay hands on people every day. I get to talk to them. I get to pray with them. I get to see that happen. In, in a similar way, you get, you've gotten to travel the globe ministering that truth and reality and prayer to people at a scale that many have never seen. You get to do it with Reinhardt. You got, you got to do it now. You're going to get to do it a whole lot next year. You can't deny those things that you see happen in front of your face, right? When you talked earlier about um, you can't, there's no grandchildren, right? It's always children. Like you, when I had, a, I had a rattle, radical encounter with the Holy Ghost that changed my life. And I can't deny, I'm a, a little white guy from South Dakota raised in a Lutheran church. Like I didn't even understand how this happened, right? And then I, I, got, it, I got touched, it changed my life, changed everything. So <laughs> certainly those people that knew me before would attest to that. <laughs> they would say, yeah, something happened to that guy. Um, tell us some, I don't want to say just stories, Pastor, because it isn't like just share miracle stories, but I mean just as best as you can try to translate the thing, some of the things you've seen or experienced or how you'd want to try to articulate to the person that's sitting here listening and going, but I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I've just grown up in a church that we never laid hands on the sick. We never even prayed for that. Matter of fact, when I am sick, I don't even think about praying or I've never even, or what about my uncle that had cancer? You know the stuff, right? The classic kind of and there's a lot in there. Take that whichever way that you want. But you've seen some things that most of us haven't seen. And I want to try to tell that story to people to encourage them to say, maybe he has more. Maybe there's, maybe there's something I, I need to reconsider. Well, I mean, when it comes to stories, of course, I could, I could keep you here for a very long time. <laughs> and um, if, you, if you search for me on YouTube, you can find dozens and dozens and dozens of you know, clips of testimonies Documented healing. Documented, yeah. yeah. I mean, every. Uh, it's so funny that people say we don't have any documented healings. The skeptics always come out and yeah. say this stuff. I'm like, guys, there's no excuse for being that ignorant. You can go on, just search it on Google. It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And we, every night at our crusades, we send f- a film crew home with the people that testify being healed, and they interview not only the person that got healed, but their parents, their doctors, relatives, yeah. neighbors, yeah, yeah doctors. Yeah. So, I mean, 
here's the challenge though. A lot of the a lot of the stuff is so wild that most people just can't relate to it, especially if it's like crusade contexts and you know you have multitudes of people. So let me tell you a story. I don't know if I've ever told this before publicly. Um, I'm sure I have, but but it's probably been a long time. But this is my very the very first time that I saw someone get healed personally. Um, now, of course, I'd seen I'd seen lots of people that had been healed after they were healed because a lot of times, you know, in the Crusades, we pray over the crowds. Then the ones that get healed, they come forward and we interview them and, and we hear what God did for them. But I didn't see it happen. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? So the first time that I actually saw it happen right in front of my eyes, I was in India. I was probably 25 years old. Um, I had I'd been on the Crusade field with Reinhardt. Again, I saw a lot at a distance, but never anything up front. Now I'm in India, very much smaller crowd. I was trying to do crusades back then, kind of what I'd mm. seen him do, but it, you know, it starts out small. So I noticed that in this one service that there was a girl. When I had the altar call, they, they were able to come forward. And in, in the crowd of people that had come forward, there was a girl who was praying very loudly. And I don't know if you've ever heard a deaf person pray or, or mm. try to talk, mm. but there's a very distinct yeah. sound that a deaf person makes when they try to talk. So I could tell from the platform that this girl out in the, in the altar area was deaf. And so, um, and she was, she was weeping and probably, you know, wanted to be healed. I, I really yeah. couldn't tell. She was trying to get close to the stage. The ushers pushed her back. And then the preaching was over. The service was over. And always at the end of the service, we lay hands on the sick. So I went and I was, I actually was sick myself that night, believe it or not. I had some stomach thing going on. And so I was so tired and so weak. I'm sitting on one of the steps that lead up to the platform. And the people are coming up to me for prayer. And um, after 15, 20 minutes, there's that girl. And she is being brought to me by her father. Both of them have dots on their forehead, which doesn't always mean that they're Hindu. But in this case, it did. They were a Hindu family. And um, I talked to the father because... The, the girl was deaf. She couldn't hear me. And he confirmed that, yes, my, my daughter's deaf. She wants to be healed. So I, I prayed for her, and then I shouted into her ear, and there was, there was no response. So I prayed for her again, shouted again into the ear, no response. Now, again, you have to remember, I'd never seen up close and personal a miracle happen before. So there was a sense in which I, you know, you can live in, cognitive dissonance mm, mm-hmm. where you you believe something on the one hand but your practical everyday experience has not made that connection yet so it's kind of like yeah it's kind of like kids believe in santa claus mm-hmm. i mean I, I have a kid that knows maybe i shouldn't say that no yeah <laughs> i don't know who's listening but sometimes you can know something and not know it at the same time sure you live in a space yeah where you entertain both possibilities and i was i was there so i knew god could heal this girl but i'd never seen it before and i remember exactly what I prayed that night. I looked up to heaven. I put my hands on her ears. And this is what I said to the Lord. I don't think anyone else heard me, but I said, Lord, if you only heal one person tonight, please heal this girl. And I shouted in her ears. And suddenly she opened her eyes and she looked at me. And and I could I could tell something was happening. Then her and the, the father and the daughter begin communicating back and forth, back and forth. And the father's telling me, she's starting to hear. She's starting to hear. Now, what's amazing is it started out very small. And she's talking, as she's telling her father what's happening, the hearing is getting louder and louder and louder. And so over the course of maybe three or four minutes, 
It keeps getting louder. Suddenly this girl, she falls on the ground and just starts sobbing because her ears are totally open. And so what had happened is it was kind of late in the night. Many people had already gone home. So I told the father, I said, come back tomorrow night. I want her to share her testimony on the platform. This is one thing that the critics don't like Mm -hmm. because even if somebody gets healed, they don't like us parading those testimonies in front of the crowd. You can't win. But the Bible (laughs) says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If Jesus has opened the ears of the deaf and there's a crowd of Hindus standing there listening. I want them to know that the Jesus that I'm preaching about is alive, Mm. that he still does miracles and that he healed this girl. So I I asked them to come back the next night. I wasn't sure if they would, but the next night, sure enough, here comes the father with the daughter and the mother, no dots on their foreheads. Mm. They all come up onto the platform together and in tears, she tells the story of what had happened the previous night. She was totally healed both ears totally opened, and the family, the whole family, came to Christ. They left Hinduism and converted to Christianity as a result of that miracle. After, I mean, it's just an incredible story, and not only just for her individually, but the testimony of that. Then did that change some things for you, Pastor? Like, seeing, I mean, did it embolden you? Was Did it, did it say, or did you start, and then was there an acceleration? I'm just curious. Yeah, and that's why I share the story, because... Yeah. I think sometimes for, for an, an average person who's never seen this stuff before, it kind of seems like, well, you're, you're different. Yeah. I could never, I could never believe the way that you believe. You just have this like you know, yes. supernatural gift of faith or something. Mm-hmm. But what I'm, what I'm trying to explain is that I had to grow in it. And, and I, I had to grow in it by taking risks. And I had to grow in it by praying for people. Somebody came to me one time and said, you know, why don't I actually – this may be crossing the line, but I'd actually been telling the stories of seeing people raised from the dead. Yeah. And this, this guy came up to me after the service. He said, I've been in ministry. I've been an evangelist all these years. How come I've never seen anybody raised from the dead? And I said to him, how many dead people have you prayed for? And he said, none. I said, well, I mean, batting a thousand percent, never tried. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that same principle applies across the board. Yeah. You will never grow in anything that you don't do, that you don't try, that you don't step out in. You know, I, I have a good friend that many, many people know. He's become a quite famous preacher now. But he, he's, he used to tell me the story, and I remember back in these days, he counted a 1,000 people on the streets that he prayed for before he saw one healed. Mm. But he kept going. He kept praying for people, one after the other, after the other, after the other, not because he'd seen something that convinced him it was, it was true, but because he saw in God's word yes. that these promises to heal were real, and he, he embraced them and accepted them by faith. And he said, I'm not going to give up. And that's the kind of tenacity that I think mm. we need, the, the tenacity that says, I believe this because God's word says it's true, and I believe that I will see it with my eyes, but until then, I'm going to go forward in faith, believing God, not doubting, and not being like that one that James described, a person with, with mm-hmm. a double-minded, yeah. driven by the wind and tossed in different directions, double-minded. So as we kind of come in to, you know, kind of wind down here a little bit. I want I talk about this all day long, but um, there's a couple maybe just uh, not objections, but I just, I'm saying this for the listeners because I feel like, Pastor, there's people that I'm never going to meet. You're never going to meet. We're never going to see them. They're never going to, maybe they'll never go to church. They'll never, yeah. they just, something happened. They got burned in church. They got turned off by something, right? They had something happen. And it's like, here's the great thing about about God, about Jesus, is he doesn't care. <laughs> like, yeah. he'll do it anyway, right? There's people that are listening to this. They're never going to make it to 
a healing service. They're never going to make it to right? But that, that God that heals, that we just talked about, that touched that girl, that opened up her ears, that's saved 90 million people in Africa and billions over time in the world we live in, um, that's available to you right now. Like in your living room, in your car, <laughs> as you're sitting there. And I would, I would hate to have a person be held back because of something that they saw experienced through man right? Instead of God, right? I think I might've heard you say this one time. I don't remember. Somebody said that the Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird, (laughs) but the Holy Spirit's not weird because you've seen something, right? Mm -hmm. You've seen something that it makes sense to your, that's the point. It's supernatural, right? It's, these things are unbelievable because they're incredible Mm -hmm. and, and we should embrace them instead of just like pushing them off. So I guess just one question, because you probably can handle it succinctly. The people that say, because I think this holds people back, the people that say healing, even miraculous healing. To me, pastor, healing is a, a broken bone healing is a miracle, is, is God healing. You know what I mean? Like, to, I don't know why people, like, there's extreme stuff, right? Raised from the dead or ears opening up or vision coming back or those types of things, or cancer going away. But make no mistake, like when you cut your finger, it, you know, making, you know, dinner and that, that skin knits back together, like that's miraculous healing to me. I don't know anything else that can do that. The bandit doesn't do that. The neosporin doesn't do that. Just the power of God does that. But um, the people that say like, that's just prosperity gospel, right? And then it's it's like, that it, it just allows people to just discount it, right? Like I don't even have to talk about it. I don't have to think about it. It's, it, it, just, it just shuts people off from experiencing, I think, healing. Or like that friend you were saying, or that pastor you were saying that says, I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. And how many people you ask for? I say this all the time to people. I'm saying, I ask them, do you think you can be healed? Like patients. And they'll say, well, I don't know. And I said, you really? Like, like, you don't know. Like, you're not, have you, have you considered it? Like, you know, like, do you want to be, sometimes it's almost fascinating, right? How people will hang on to that. So what's your, your response to people that think that it's um, it's just prosperity gospel, it's just false hope, it's these promises, it's you know you've heard it every which way. Well, people people sometimes they um, they think of what we're teaching as a kind of name it claim it mm-hmm. positive confession type of a thing. And if it were positive confession or just some positive mental state that you know because this is a this is the new agers they think yeah, like yeah, that yeah. and there's people that good vibes only yeah. that's not what we're talking about here we're not just talking about you know I'm saying something over and over I'm healed I'm healed I'm healed I'm healed I'm healed or just trying to get ourselves in a very positive way of thinking what we are doing is we see that the, that there are promises of healing in scripture Jesus purchased our healing in the atonement which means that when Jesus died on the cross at the same time that he was paying the price for us to be forgiven from sins, he was also paying the price for us to be healed from sicknesses. There's a, a word in the Greek language, it's the word sozo, which is the word that's used for salvation. But interestingly, that, that Greek word sozo is a, it, even though it's used to translate salvation in the New Testament, it means a entire holistic salvation of the person. Mm. Not just the salvation of their soul or their spirit from sin, but the salvation of their body from sickness. It means deliverance from bondage. It's the entire person, spirit, soul, and body being saved by what Jesus did on the cross. That's what healing is. Mm. So, you know, people say to me sometimes, you know, the cessationists we were talking about before, they say, well, we believe that salvation is the most supernatural thing of all. We believe that that it's, it requires a miracle for someone to be born again, to go from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. I totally agree with that. Sure. So 
in, in light of that, if you believe in the most supernatural miracle of all, it should be very easy for you to accept that lesser miracles like salvation of mortal bodies or yeah. the, the healing of a mortal body can take place. So what we're talking about is just, it's, it's not just faith for faith's sake or mm-hmm. like believing to believe, to have a, a positive mentality. What it is, is we're looking in scripture and we're grounding our faith in the word of God and we're saying, no matter what we see with our eyes, we choose to believe the word of God. Mm. And there's tremendous power in that. That's what the Bible calls faith. Mm. And you notice whenever in the New Testament you see people that got healed very often, especially Gentiles, Jesus commended them for what? Their yeah. great faith. Yeah. And then on the other side, when the disciples couldn't heal somebody or they couldn't cast a demon out or whatever, Jesus said, it's because of your unbelief. Mm. So you see in Scripture, this is not something I made up. This is not some prosperity pre- something some prosperity yeah. preacher invented so they could sell books. Yeah. In the New Testament, you see healings and miracles and even deliverance connected with faith. Mm. What is the faith in? It's in the word of God. So again, this is not about positive confession. It's yeah. not about name it, claim it. It's not about prosperity gospel. It's just about believing the word of God. Do you remember that? Of course you remember that. You know when they, they lower the, the guy through the roof, right, to, to be healed, and, and Jesus says, you know, your sins have been forgiven, and then they all freak out, right? right? Like, by whose authority, right? And then, and I love, I just love the order of how this happens, because you're, you're saying, if, if you're listening to this, and you believe that you have been saved, and you believe that your sins have been forgiven, and you will spend eternity in heaven with, with the Lord, then, then you almost have to also believe that he can heal you. Like, and then, so that's what he says, like, okay, well then, you know, get up and walk. Maybe now, maybe you'll believe that, right? Cause you can't see mm-hmm. your sins being forgiven in a sense. So he's like, well, maybe this will allow your mind to understand what is happening. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's way crazier if you want to say to like, imagine that your sins have been forgiven, been atoned for. And then, you know, you, he took your place and you're going to be in heaven. Like, and he can't heal your like arm, <laughs> you know, like that on the scale of hard things to do, that one would be, would be much easier. Yeah, you know, I think I think that's a great illustration too because it shows the connection of salvation and healing going together, and it shows how in the in the case especially of the Pharisees, they had this cognitive dissonance where they could accept one but not the other, mm-hmm. and in fact for them it was the opposite. They it was easier for them to believe that Jesus could heal someone's body mm. than to believe that he could save someone's soul. Yeah, that got them mad. That's yeah. the part that they struggle with today. It's the opposite. We believe. That, G, that God can save someone's soul because that's invisible, requires no burden of proof. Yeah. Doesn't ex- we, we don't have to prove anything. We can just, you know, yeah. put it into that realm of like, you know, uh, mm. Santa Claus and the yeah. Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy, and we can believe it with that cognitive dissonance thing I was talking about earlier. But when it comes to something physical in the real world, now our faith is put to the test because mm. either it happens or it doesn't. Man. And I think, I think actually... Um, I, I want to be careful how I yeah. say this because I don't want it be, to be taken the wrong way. But I think that believing God in heal, uh, for healing is a good litmus test for, mm. The, mm. for the authenticity of one's faith. Let me say that again. I believe that being able to believe God for physical healing is a good litmus test for the authenticity of someone's faith. Mm. Because if you're only willing to believe God for things that are invisible and and something that Be happens, real, yeah. you know, pie in the sky after you die. I believe this will happen after in the, in the great by and by. But you can't believe God for something that mm. needs to happen right here and right now. It means that you are entertaining a kind of cognitive dissonance. Mm. And I would encourage people to actually, I mean, yeah. there's nice ways to say it, but I would actually <laughs> encourage you to repent of unbelief, humble yourself, and say, Lord, I want nothing less than everything that you purchased for me on the cross. 
think about it's I've never thought about what you said like what put what put Jesus on the cross was you know not the physical healings that's what we like to that's what we kind of burn people for now but it was because of who he said he was because of who he was and they couldn't handle that, right? That was just too much for them to under, to, to take in that this was God, right? Mm-hmm. That he and what that meant and what he's done and his words, they just couldn't wrap their heads around that. And so it is weird how it's almost backwards now, right? They could handle the physical healings. Like if you would have been walking around back then, that wasn't the weird part for people, yeah. right? And it's weird how it's gotten flipped a little bit. So as we, as we wind down, Pastor, there's people that are listening to this that, again, I just... It's our 300th episode, and I don't mean that in any sort of pat on the back. I just mean mm-hmm. this whole thing started to because of I wanted people to understand healing through what it, what healing really means, and I, even like what you were talking about, just the whole picture, right? Body, mind, spirit. And there's some people that maybe listen, and it's weird they they they're, they're believers, they're saved, but they've they've lived in that cognitive dissonance that you were talking about right? Where they've, but they've never entertained the here and now, right? Heaven on earth, I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you don't mind, I'm putting you on the spot, but, and, and, and go at this however you want. But so there's those people that I would just want you to encourage if you, if you don't mind. And then also, I know you said earlier that there's the people that, you know, Hey, if you're not a believer, you know, you're an atheist or however that is. Um, I just believe though, that the word of God is powerful and it doesn't, is no respecter of people. It'll it'll do what it wants to do when it wants to do it. And there's some people that maybe listen to this and never they've never heard a person present it like you have. They've never heard a person um explain it like that. I've taken me 299 shows and I probably haven't done a good job. So if you wouldn't mind talking just to that non-believer, maybe that person that's just said, you know what, not interested, and uh, and just share your heart a little bit, and we'll wind down here. Yeah. Well, you know, I it's hard to talk about the gospel without using scripture. L- let me give you just a couple scriptures, and then I want to use a, an analogy to help you understand this, to make it as simple as possible. This is not a big theology discussion, but the Bible paints a, 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 a picture of the human race as being essentially corrupted by sin and being born into that state of sin. You may have heard people talk about the idea of original sin, the idea that even when we come into this world from birth, there is a corruption that is deep within us, that as we grow older, it manifests in all kinds of different areas of our lives. It's called sin. And it's one of the easiest things to observe in, in human beings. I mean, from the earliest age, we find, you know, if you have little kids, you learn this. You don't have to be very old before you see selfishness yeah, and, right. and dishonesty and all, all kinds of character traits come out that are clearly indications that a person um, is born with this condition. And so the Bible says that um, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says that there is none righteous, no, not one. It says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. It says that the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. It is even beyond, the scripture says, it's beyond understanding. That's how wicked it is. And so this is the this is the great conundrum, the great quandary of the human story is we are human beings who were originally made in the image of God, but then became corrupt and corrupt beyond any remedy that we had within our own power, 
we can address symptoms on the outside. We can, we can try to address some of the ills in society or, right. or we can try to counsel or medicate or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, at the deepest part of our hearts, there is still this issue. And so knowing that we could not fix it ourselves, God took it upon himself to provide the remedy in his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The death of Christ on the cross, which I think every Westerner has seen pictures of Jesus on the cross. They've seen a crucifix. What those pictures are portraying is an exchange where God took our worst. Think about what happened the night that Jesus was betrayed when he was crucified. The Bible says that that night he was in the upper room with his disciples. And it says the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And this is what he told his disciples. This is my body, or it's symbolic, it's representative of my body which is broken for you. Sitting there at the table that night was the very person who betrayed Jesus so that he would be crucified. In other words, it's a, it's a very powerful picture of the big picture of what, what God did for us. We gave him our worst, and in, in exchange, God gave us his best. But here's the reality. So God does this for us, the death of Christ, the resurrection, where, where God is vindicating what Christ said about himself, and yet there is this part of the whole story that requires human participation. That's mm. the part we play. And so how do we do it? We accept it by faith. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of your works. It's nothing you can do. You cannot earn it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't you know, learn enough things about God. You can't read the Bible enough. You can't be spiritual enough or go to church enough or pay enough tithes or do enough confessionals or whatever it is that you think God is wanting from you. Actually, what he wants is repentance, which means to turn, and faith. What does that mean? What does that look like in a practical sense? Well, here's my little analogy for you. Imagine a man who's been on a ship that struck an iceberg out of the middle of the ocean and the ship has gone down, and now this man is cling, clinging to a waterlogged piece of wreckage from the ship. And that piece of wreckage is slowly sinking, slowly becoming more and more waterlogged, and he knows that his time is limited. Soon he's going to die. He's going to drown. And then he sees a spotlight searching on the water, and there is the Coast Guard. And they discover him, and the Coast Guard pulls up alongside and throws a rope out of the boat and says, grab a hold of the lifeline. Now the man has to make a choice. Is he going to continue to cling to this waterlogged piece of wreckage to take the lifeline? Or is he going to hold on to that which is familiar and which he knows is safe? Seems like an obvious answer, but the reality is that we become comfortable with the things that have provided us creature comforts, mm. with the things that we have become emotionally attached to. We become attached to that which we know. And sometimes it's very difficult to let go of all of that. But here's what the word repent means. It means let go. Let go of whatever it is that you've been putting your trust in. You've been trusting your righteousness, let that go. You've been trusting your, you know, uh, your, your counseling, your uh, positive thinking, your religion, your good works, whatever it is, let all of that go and make the decision that you are going to put your trust in one solution and one solution only. That is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you do that, you let go of all the other things and you grab a hold of that lifeline. Then something supernatural happens. The power of God then takes over. 
Your part is very simple. Your part is not to save yourself. Your part is just to repent and believe. The moment that you believe, the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God himself. And the Bible gives us this beautiful picture. You can read about it throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit will actually come and dwell on the inside of you. And now from the inside out, you will be empowered to live the way that God originally intended to live with power over sin and sickness and temptation and all of those things. That's where the power to live a victorious life comes from. You couldn't have done it on your own, but now with the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, you are transformed into a new person. If any man be in Christ, it says, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And here's the beauty that often what you see when you look at religion and this is one of the reasons that people are often averse to religious systems is that they require a bunch of rules to be obeyed in exchange for eternal life after you die. So they're asking you to give up something that you have in your hands right now for the hope and the promise of something that you don't even know is real. Mm. This is not what the gospel is. Mm. The gospel is not believe this so that you can get to heaven after you die. Mm. The gospel is believe this so that heaven can come and live inside of you right now. Amen. Eternal life, there's actually in the, uh, there, there's a Bible that I have, which is a, designed for interpreters that are translating the Bible into foreign languages. Mm. And there's a, little, um, there's a little note right next to the place where it talks about believe, where it talks about eternal life. You know, for whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the, the note to interpreters says this, translators should be careful not to interpret the word eternal life in such a way that it only connotes a life after death. Mm. Because in New Testament language, eternal life is something that you receive the moment that you put your trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you, and your life is not just eternal in the sense that it never ends, but it goes into a totally new dimension, a totally mm. different quality of living. Mm. That's what we're talking about here. And in that place is peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Ghost. That is what God designed us to live in from the very beginning when he made us in his image, and it's available to anyone who will simply repent, let go, and believe the gospel. Man. You know, people that uh, are listening to this, I'm, I'm going to kind of laugh and give a little bit of our, it's Friday, it's Friday night, right? Um, I'm sure you've had a busy week. I know I've had a busy week. It's end of the year, right? And Christmas is coming. And and um, I was talking with some of the guys that helped get us get, get this set up. And I said, you know, <laughs> will pastor have, you know, is he, will he have enough, will he have some juice in him? You know, right? Will he, will he be, will he be, you know, has he got, got anything left in the tank? I know you've been to meetings all day and everything. And uh, one of our friends says, oh, yeah, like, this is, this, is, this is what he loves to do. Like, this, is, like, this isn't a hassle for you, right? This isn't like, oh, man, right? And I can just, I mean, I'm just sitting with you, and I can just, I feel like I see, I see tears in your eyes. I, even just listening to you, I feel like I just get emotional because it changes everything, right? And so as people are looking at 2024, and it's been a heck of a few years for a lot of people, oh, yeah. right? You being one of them and anybody, anybody can say that. Um, maybe it's been amazing, but I would just say, man, today can be that new day for you. The day that changes everything, mm -hmm. right? But you have to get plugged into this, right? You have to get plugged into people that can help you like this, right? The Holy Ghost and I'm, I'm in, in, in the Lord, of course, but I mean others. We do life together, relationship, right? And so... Um, Thank you for, for coming on today and speaking with, with our audience. Thank you for um, working in the warehouse. 
at <laughs> CFAN. And, uh, uh, you know, just I'm sure, like you said, that story would be amazing and, and, and have a chance to tell at some point when you're appointing your successor, right? And decades from now, and, and um, I know the Lord is continuing to do amazing things through the boot camp, through CFAN, through Nations Church and Nations College and all those things. Um, this isn't the purpose of this show, but I know people will ask, Pastor, how do they best stay in touch with you, follow you, right, and follow the ministry? And um, I just want to make sure they understand those properties, sure. if you don't mind. Sure. The, the main website is cfan.org, so it stands for Christ for All Nations, so cfan.org. And um, you can get directed to all the different avenues there. Of course, I'm on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the stuff. And one more that I'll mention just because we mentioned it specifically is the boot camp. Yeah. The boot camp is for people that want to be trained to do gospel crusade mass evangelism and you can find out more about that by going to cfanbootcamp.org okay so cfan bootcamp all one word dot org okay you can have the final word anything you want to say well maybe instead of a final word maybe we could just pray yeah because for those of you that heard what i said earlier you might be saying okay how do i do this mm. and it's really simple it's so simple actually that it requires faith to believe mm. that it's real <laughs> because we think that things that this amazing must be more difficult, but mm. it was difficult. It's just the heavy lifting was done by somebody else. Jesus did it. And he asks you just to trust him. So that's what we do. And I'm going to just lead you in a little prayer. If you're praying this with me, just close your eyes. Remember, this isn't about the words that you speak. I'm not reading this out of a prayer book. I'm just going to make this up. But the Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. So let's just pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you as a sinner. I need salvation. I need eternal life. Lord Jesus, I cannot save myself, but I can throw myself upon your mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I put my trust in you. I believe in my heart, what I confess with my mouth, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for me, that he rose from the dead for me, that he is the King of kings and he's the Lord of my life. And from this day forward, I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. I believe it. I receive it. I confess it in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just pray that those that have prayed that prayer, that have humbled their hearts before you, Lord, I thank you that you fill them with, their, with, with your Holy Spirit even as they listen. Lord, let them sense your presence and your nearness. Lord, transform them from the inside out. Lord, let this be the first day, the beginning, of a great adventure for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Design to Heal. Always remember that the greatest doctor lives inside of you and God gave you what you need to be healthy and well. Connect with Dr. Ben at drbenrawl.com or achievewellness.clinic. And please share this podcast with someone who needs to hear it and follow us on Instagram at Design to Heal Podcast.